This morning we continue in our sermon series this fall in the book of Matthew and our text today comes from Matthew the 22nd chapter beginning with verse 34. Very familiar text of the teaching of Jesus. I invite you to listen for God's word for you. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? Well, they said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David by the spirit calls him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me with a word of prayer? And so, gracious God, once again we come on this Sabbath day to receive from you what you alone can give. So speak to us now. Open our eyes and ears that we may receive your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. So on this Giving Sunday, I'm reminded of the story of the part-time organist who wanted to get the job full-time. So she asked the pastor, what, what could she do to actually enhance her possibilities? Well, the pastor told it that it was stewardship season and that the sermon could conclude with an appeal to the congregation to give extra this year to help support the budget. At the end of the sermon, the pastor was planning to ask the people that would be willing to give an extra $1,000 if they would please stand. So the pastor indicated to the organist that she might want to play some appropriate music while the people made their decision. Well, the sermon concluded with the preacher's appeal and the organist began playing the national anthem. Everybody stood, the budget was quadrupled and a lifetime contract was issued to the organist. See, sometimes you just... You just have to think differently if you want to accomplish your goals. Stephen Covey was researching expectancy theory and the Pygmalion effect when he realized that our perceptions are deeply embedded. He discovered, quote, that we must look at the lens through which we see the world as well as the world we see and that the lens itself shapes how we interpret the world. Now, Stephen Covey, you know, the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in that book, he stated things in simple maxims like be proactive or put first things first. In essence, 
Covey's program for effectiveness relied upon the notion of intentionally connecting one's everyday activities to one's deeply held values and commitments. The seven habits provided a program for identifying and focusing on your core values and then allowing those to guide your daily practices. Recently, I was reading the paper and I came across an obituary for William H. Danforth. He was the former chancellor of Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. He served there for 24 years. When Bill was 12 years old, his self-made grandfather handed him a pair of scissors and he told him to cut out the word impossible from his dictionary. Because he, he wanted all of his grandchildren to feel that They could change the world as long as they gave back. All four of them actually did. I mean, his brother John, for instance, became a three-term United States senator from Missouri. Bill Danforth was given a lens at the age of 12 through which to see the world by his grandfather. And he absorbed the lesson. Our text today provides the teachings of Jesus at the very core values. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment and the second greatest. These are the core values that should guide our daily practices every day. The fact is, Jesus had his critics. There were people who were threatened by his great popularity. There were preachers whose thunder he stole, as well as their congregations. As word got out about him, Jesus faced his opponents. And one such opponent asked him, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Now, argument and debate served as the cornerstone of Jewish theological reflection and development. I mean, it's the way you hammer out your faith. That's one of the reasons that sometimes it's said wherever you have four Jews together, you'll have five opinions. There are two ways to win an argument in this context. You could come up with the correct answer, or you could pose a question that couldn't be answered. And here Jesus does both when answering the question. Now, at first glance, this question sounds kind of profound, but the operative word here is they, they ask the question to test him. They want to test Jesus. They didn't want Jesus' insight into any deep question. They were merely trying to trip him up. I mean, if they could make him misspeak, they could discredit him. They could choke off his growing popularity. And we know that happens all the time in life, especially in public life. If you happen to see the presidential debate this week, you probably saw a lot of that. Lots of attempts to get the opponent to misspeak and thus discredit himself. So the lawyer asked Jesus his question like an opponent during a debate. He simply wanted to show him up as a fraud. So what a surprise when Jesus actually answers correctly right off the bat. Which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.5. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. But then Jesus turns the tables and poses a question the Pharisees could not answer. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? Now the questioners have no reply. Of course, the overall effect of this exchange between Jesus and his critics is to point out the futility of all this verbal wrestling as a way to understand what it means to live a life of faithfulness to the living God. I can only understand by doing it. I understand by living it. How do I love God? By loving my neighbor. Theological puzzles may provide for an interesting diversion, maybe even a little insight. But the key that unlocks the mystery is faithful living. The only argument Jesus really seems to care about is the one I make with my life. And he's not asking for any half-hearted living as though I could love God with half my heart or half of my life. Have you ever seen a tennis player following a match jump 35 and a half inches over the tennis net? I mean, unfortunately, tennis nets are 36 inches high. Going partway, even most of the way, just doesn't cut it. So why hasn't loving others become a higher priority in life? I mean, the answer to why people have difficulty loving each other over the long haul, that strikes right at the heart of every relationship I'm involved in. And little progress can be made in a marriage or a friendship or a family, even among a group of friends, until the participants can honestly say, I don't know how to love this person. And to be honest, I don't even want to love this person sometimes. But because you, Christ, my Lord, have asked me to, I ask you to fill my heart, my mind with love for this person. And This is not some wishy-washy kind of thing that lets everyone use you. I mean, I learned a whole new dimension of love that I hadn't known before when my children became teenagers. I discovered that I had to sacrifice closeness that I may want with my children because love called me to set standards and clear boundaries. And I confess that I didn't always know how to do that. And I had to, on many occasions, ask the Lord for help. But let me tell this story. In the last of Tolstoy's 23 tales, he tells the story of a king searching for answers to three questions in life. The first one, how can I do the right thing at the right time? Number two, Who are the people I most need and to whom should I therefore pay more attention than the rest?
And finally, number three, what things are most important and require my attention first? So this king's search took him to the hut of a wise old hermit who lived deep in the forest. The king approached the hermit, saw that he was dressed in rags and at the end of a very long workday, sick and on the verge of collapse. So the king took the spade from the hermit and he finished the job of digging the garden. At sundown, a bearded man with a terrible wound staggered into the hermit's yard. Unknown to the king, the man's wound had come from one of the king's own guards keeping watch in the forest. Gently, the king cleaned the wound, bandaged it, stopped the bleeding, and then night fell. The king slept on the threshold of the hut, and when he awoke, he redressed the bearded man's wound, checked on the hermit. The wounded man, overcome by guilt, confessed to the king that he had hidden in the forest waiting for the king to return from the hermit's hut so he could kill him. He wanted revenge for a judgment the king had made against him sometime in the past. Well, the king listened intently, and then he promised to send his own doctor to take care of the man's wound. And then the king prepared to leave. But he then remembered his own mission. So the king again asked the hermit the answer to the three questions. How can I do the right thing at the right time? Who are the people I most need and to whom I should therefore spend most of my attention? And finally, what things are most important and require my attention first? Well, the hermit patiently explained that the king had received his answers on the previous day. When the king had come upon the sick hermit, he finished digging his garden for him. This was both the right thing and the right time and the most important matter at hand. Had the king chosen to leave instead, the man hiding in the forest would have killed him. Secondly, he helped the wounded man and again, the right thing at the right time. Remember then, the hermit continued, there's only one time that's important. Now. And then he added, the most necessary person is the one who's in front of you. And the most important thing is to do good for that person. Because for that purpose alone, anyone is sent into this life. I think that gets at what Jesus is saying here. I understand by doing it now. By living it now and the more I do it the more I understand it I mean right this minute I I can't think of six people who truly believe they're doing exactly what God wants them to do instead they're waiting to find out what their true purpose is or else they're waiting until the circumstances improve enough for them to do a better job of fulfilling it certainly during this pandemic. Until then, one thing's for sure. This is not it. This present life, under these circumstances, 
cannot possibly be what God has in mind. Now, that's sad, but it's useful. Since it's all the permission most of us need to postpone full immersion in our own lives. If this life is not yet my real life, then why do I have to give it all I have? It's better just to stay in the baby pool where no one expects too much of me. If anyone asks what I'm up to these days, I can just say, well, I'm still practicing. And I keep discounting what I do every day. I keep discounting who I am because it doesn't match my fantasy of what I'm supposed to look like. But you see, the life the Lord is calling me to is the one I'm living right now, right here, under these present circumstances. I have everything I need to respond to God's call. I have what every one of us has, one whole life to live on this earth with people in it whom I may either lift up by my presence or I may put down by my absence even when I'm standing right in front of them. Every night when we go to sleep, there's either more life in the world because of us or less life because of us. And so I come to understand the truth of God's reality and the truth of God's love by the doing and the living again and again and again. And this seems to be the only argument Jesus seems to care much about. The argument Jesus really seems to care about is the one I'm willing to make with my life. Which commandment is in the law? Which commandment in the law is the greatest? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. The Ten Commandments can be divided. Five about loving God, five about loving your neighbor. What a difference it makes when we again and again choose to live our one whole life now. Loving the Lord our God. And loving one another. Thanks be to God. Amen.